and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership Podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weins, Senior Pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Episode 5 is called Guiding Others on a Spiritual Journey. So Moses has been through a lot so far. Mm -hmm. He's encountered God in solitude. He's learned to pay attention by meeting God in in the burning bush. He's discerned his calling. Uh, But now he actually has to go back to Egypt and do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, could you bring us up to speed on the story? Mm -hmm. Well, now we see that the journey that Moses has been through, which is very, very personal to him, the fact that he's had to face his own fears, he's had to face his own dark side, um, he's had to get get himself together with God to be willing to follow God and surrender his normal ways and normal patterns uh, to now you know, allow himself to be guided by God. So now he goes back to do what God has told him to do, and now he's got this huge group of people that are looking to him for leadership. Um, and... While we might think that the best preparation for leading others spiritually is seminary or, you know, having gone to church all of our lives or this workshop or that certificate or that degree or whatever, what we learn here is that Moses' own deeply personal spiritual journey with God is what really does prepare him to lead others on their spiritual journey. And the Exodus journey, if you want to look at it this way, is actually, again, a metaphor for the whole spiritual journey, the very stages that that the people of Israel had to move through are the stages that we all must move through in our own spiritual journey. So we discover that Moses' preparation really was his willingness to attend to his own spiritual journey with God. Um, Nowen makes this wonderful quote where he says, the great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. So many of us would like to be able to lead others without ever having had to take a serious spiritual journey ourselves or without ever having had to deal with our own false self stuff. Um, and the, the, the real spiritual truth of it is, is that we can't lead other people where we have not been willing to go with God. Yeah, I've heard some people say your life is your curriculum mm-hmm. for what you need to do. Yeah. And we sort of hate that, mm-hmm. but it's really a grace. Yeah. I mean. And it's really, it helps me trust mm-hmm. God that there is actually, God has been leading mm-hmm. me all along. Yeah. Even in the dark, in the dark right. corners. Right, Could you talk a little bit more about the stages? What are they? Mm-hmm. How do we go from learning to do them on our own to learning to guide others on them? Yeah. Well, in our Christian tradition, we recognize four stages of faith. So traditionally, those are known as awakening, purgation, illumination, and union. But I actually have expanded those a little bit in this book, looking at the Israelite journey as being a picture of what it's like for us to take the spiritual journey. And so the Exodus becomes a metaphor for us, and they're not meant to represent a linear journey um, oftentimes we cycle we more like cycle through mm-hmm. these things and then they move they move, as we cycle we're, we are moved forward but understanding the stages can be really helpful to guiding other people and the only way to really understand them is to have experienced them ourselves so in the exodus story we can see 
a first stage, which would be considered pre-awareness. And pre-awareness or pre-awakening, if you will, is the time before you realize that you're in bondage. Yes. Um, so you're still living along as though this is normal. Like it's normal for people not to be able to worship the way they want to. It's normal for there to be soldiers standing outside the door when our babies are being born, you know? It's normal for us to only be able to, you know, live in this part of this country. And we're not aware of the fact that we are living in bondage. It's pre-awareness. Um, and then there's often a turning point where people realize, oh, there could be a better way to live. This is not normal. There could be another way. And so for the Israelites, that turning point was when they were being asked to make bricks to build buildings. And the um, again, they were so these people were so vital and so strong that there was a sense of threat. And so they, the Pharaoh started to demand more of them, and the taskmaster started to demand more of them. And then they began to withhold supplies, like to make... Um, you know, to make bricks without the straw that they needed and stuff like that. And all of a sudden people realized, oh, we are the victims here. This is cruel. I'm in bondage. I don't like this. And that's the turning point that they wake up, they come into an awareness of their true situation and it becomes a turning point for them. And they realize we want to move. We want to get out of our bondage. And God is already out ahead of us when it comes to leading us along on the spiritual journey. So while they're coming to an awareness of the fact that they are in bondage and they no longer want to live this way, God has been preparing Moses so that at the very right moment, as they're ready, he comes back and he begins to cast vision for the promised land and to say, I'll lead you there. If you'll follow me, um, God's been at work and I'll show you the way. It's that way. Um, and that's very much like our own spiritual journey. Um, and we can either see the spiritual journey as being about the whole journey from birth, you know, finding our, becoming aware and awake of to, to sin in our lives and then giving our lives to Jesus and salvation and the end game of that being eternal life in heaven. So we can see the whole spiritual journey is happening in these stages, but we can also see these stages as being relevant to different areas of, of bondage in our life. So the first time we wake up, to the fact that we are driven by fear or driven by ego or still in bondage to our false self stuff that came out of our uh, family of origin experiences, when we first start to wake up, we become aware of one place of bondage and this cycle can actually work and function in, rel in relation to one area of our lives. So um, we wake up to the fact that we're in bondage. There's a turning point where we're aware and awake, and then we have a desire to move forward, and then then um, we have to let go of some things in order to move forward. So the, the Israelites had to let go of even the good things, uh, the sense of security that they had living in Egypt. I mean, it was nice to, to know where the food was coming from. It was in some ways nice to be in bondage because certain things were provided for you. There was a certain sense of security. We know where our next meal is coming from. But they're giving up an awful lot to gain that security. So you have to be willing to give up some of what you've had in order to strike out on a new spiritual journey. So the only reason that Moses could lead the people on this journey was because he had himself had done that letting go. He himself had faced his own bondage. He himself had allowed himself to be stripped of various kinds of security in the wilderness. He had encountered God in a way that changed him, and he was willing now to take risks that he wasn't willing to take after that. And so Moses' journey paralleled the Israelite journey, and he needed to have had his own journey before he could lead others very effectively. And do you think it allows a leader to have more empathy for someone when they mm -hmm. know, oh, yeah. they're yes. in this stage of the journey. They're, they're actually in pre-awakening. Yeah, they don't even, they're not even aware that they're living in bondage to their family of origin issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it leads to, to some, mm. some empathy. Yeah, and patience. 
and patience. And patience. Oh my goodness, yes. Mm-hmm. Which, if a leader doesn't learn patience, mm-hmm. if they want to guide others on a spiritual journey, yeah, I think you got to go back to school. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think this can also be the difference between a first half of life leader and a second half of life leader. Yeah. So in the first half of life. You know, uh, a young leader hasn't yet hit up against their own limits. They haven't yet faced their own bondage, their false self. They haven't yet acknowledged the darker motivations that drive their leadership. And so you can't expect a lot of them at that stage. You can't expect them to know these things. You can't expect them to have empathy and patience about things that they have not yet experienced. That's just too much to ask. One of the things I've learned to trust in a leader is when they've suffered, Mm -hmm. Uh, when they can talk about their suffering. Um, and when they have moved through it mm-hmm. so that it's always a part of their story yeah. and it's never, they have the scar, mm-hmm. but now they know how to lead others through yeah. it. Yeah. How do you see suffering and learning how to suffer as a part of guiding others on their own spiritual journey? Mm-hmm. Well, I think suffering humbles us. Suffering also, as you said, helps us to be empathic, um, towards others and their suffering. Also, I think we experience with God in solitude that not everything can be fixed. Um, We're able to be with God with what is in our own lives, which means that we can be with someone else with what's going on in their lives and not rush in to try to fix or give advice or problem solve or convince them that it's not as bad as they think it is. But we can actually be with without having to do all of those things. Our own suffering does humble us, does make us more open to God. It helps us to trust God more. Um, It, you know, makes us tender towards people in the hurting places of their lives because we've experienced God's tenderness to us in the hurting places of our lives. Um, All of those things prepare us to be with others when they are suffering. Yes. So Moses goes back to Egypt, and on behalf of the people, he stands in front of Mm -hmm. Pharaoh. And says the famous line, yeah. let my people mm-hmm. go. And he does this more than once. Right. Leads him into the plagues, the ten plagues. Mm-hmm. It's um and it's kind of horrific. I mm-hmm. mean, it's 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 a horrific yeah. part of the episode to mm-hmm. to read through, especially the tenth one. But eventually, Moses finds himself leading the children of Israel mm-hmm. out of Egypt. Yeah. But then they face the Red Sea. Right. Mm-hmm. So Red Sea in front of them, yeah. soldiers behind them. And um so classically, they complain to Moses. Mm-hmm. What do you think a leader needs at that moment mm-hmm. to know so that they can keep going? Well, they need to have stood in that place with God where their life was on the line and where they must trust God with their own survival and have gotten to a place of learning to trust God with their own survival before they can call other people to trust God with theirs. And so what I see in Moses in this particular instance is a certain kind of inner authority that um, he knows that God's going to have to open the way. But he's already been with with God in this place in his own life. And so with inner authority, he can say to the people, don't even pay any attention to the people who are, you know, approaching us because God is going to accomplish your deliverance today. All you need to do is be silent and wait for the deliverance of the Lord. Well, a speak a, a, a leader who hasn't been through their own experience can't say that with any kind of authority. You can try to say the words, but you don't have any inner authority to back it up. But Moses had the inner, inner authority of having waited on God in his own life for his own redemption, for his own deliverance from his own bondage. And so when he stands before the people and says, all you have to do is keep still and wait for the deliverance of the Lord, 
there's, you know, there, there really is an inner authority that helps people to wait and to believe that Moses sees something that they cannot yet see. Uh, we all know intuitively when we encounter a leader who has authority, mm-hmm. who has the scars to prove it. I mean, I remember myself as a young leader with mm-hmm. lots of ambition yeah. and lots of drive right. and the feeling that I kind of knew Mm-hmm. Most of what I needed to know. Yeah. And nobody could tell you you didn't, right? <laughs> no, it's yeah. true. I mean, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And what I do remember uh, at several times, there were gracious older mm-hmm. congregation members who would approach me and they wouldn't um, they wouldn't get in my face. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't, in, I mean, some did, you know, but the ones that helped, mm-hmm. they just made themselves available to me in a way that um, that helped me to know that I had a whole yeah. lot more to learn. Mm-hmm. And they, their, their gentleness kind of yeah. broke me and, yeah. and broke that. Like I saw the wisdom in them. I saw the authority in them. And I think there was enough desire in me to want to become that kind of person that that helped me to turn and soften mm-hmm. a little bit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. The other truth is, is that the kind of breaking experience that Moses had, we can't manufacture that. Right. We can't that we can't orchestrate that for ourselves because no one who's healthy would be able to choose that kind of death and dying. Um, but I think one thing a young leader can do is to engage in a significant practice of solitude and silence because solitude and silence is a practice of waiting on God. You know, and it is a practice of letting go of the things that we usually rely on. And for the ambitious, ego-driven young leader who hasn't yet, you know, hit that wall, at least the moments in solitude and silence are a, a way of practicing surrender, practicing waiting on God, um, being aware of the things that we can't fix and change about ourselves, and waiting for God to come in and be with us in that place. Um, and I think solitude and silence calms us. It helps us to at least see the difference between calling and ego-drivenness or anger and calling, you know, things like that. And we do, in those moments, cast ourselves upon the mercy of God, which is a really important practice for young leaders to find some way to open up and to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. Um, I remember, right along with you, I remember times in my younger years as a leader and the, the lovely older people who just put their arms around me and loved me. And I look back now and I know that I know what they saw. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Um, and yet those are still my dear people today. You know, um, I still write to them and I still um, thank them for the love that they gave me and the unconditional love that they gave to me, even when I was a young whippersnapper yep. who had no idea what I was doing, but yep. thought I knew what I was doing. Oh, gosh, you know? yeah. yeah. And, and the patience <laughs> mm-hmm. that that requires yeah. and the stability mm-hmm. that to stay yeah. right uh, and be led by a young whippersnapper. Yes. Yeah. Whew. And if, if there are people listening who know themselves to be that young leader, even to be willing to acknowledge what we don't know, yep. you know, to acknowledge where we have not been yet, that, that even can be very disarming and, and helpful to the more mature leaders who are enduring our leadership. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm I doing. Know. Help me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, you mentioned waiting, and there's a kind of waiting that's passive, mm-hmm. and there's a kind of waiting that's actually quite active. Yeah. Could you tell? Could you talk about the difference between yeah. those two? Yeah. So 
the passive waiting is kind of fatalistic. Like it's depressed. It's like there's nothing I can do. You know, yeah. um, I'll never be able to impact this situation. But active waiting is very much like what the psalmist describes when he talks about the watchman who's waiting for the morning. You know, or the person who's charged with being a night watchman and watching and keeping everyone safe. That you're actually very awake and alert. Every part of you is watching for the salvation of the Lord. Um, and you're praying for it, you're opening yourself to it, you're confident in it, that's a very alert kind of waiting as opposed to a, a, a passive kind of waiting. And it's hopeful, too. There is this, this you know, sort of trembly fear, but also a great deal of hope and confidence that God is going to come through, that God is the one who comes forth as our, as our deliverer. Um, and so waiting, I think, for us as Christians is a very important place for us to learn how to be. And Richard Rohr actually talks about liminal space, that this liminal space, which is a threshold type of place where we um, know that we're letting go or moving beyond what's been in our past, but we haven't yet fully received the future. And so we're in this sort of crossing over threshold sort of space and that that's where Christian people often find themselves in and certainly Christian leaders find themselves in when they're leading others. And there are these moments when all together you know yourself to be in liminal space and that all you can do at that point is wait for the salvation of the Lord. And there's so many references in the Psalms in particular where it talks about the fact that it is good to wait for the Lord, that waiting on God is a very good place for us as Christians to be. It's humble, it's receptive, it's open, and it creates a lot of space for God to come in and do something really surprising among us, which is pretty exciting. I think that's helpful and hopeful, mm -hmm. especially if you're a driven type of mm -hmm. leader who waiting is hard. Waiting yeah. is productive. It is. Waiting is very productive. And, and waiting forms something good in us. Yes. You know, it forms dependency upon God in us. It forms that kind of spiritual alertness in us. It actually, during those times, helps us to get in touch with the deeper desire, you know, for God and not just to do things on our own. Um, and then, of course, because we've waited and we've, we've cast ourselves upon the mercy of God, when God's deliverance does come, then we um, can acknowledge the fact that God did something that was so far beyond what our own human striving and human effort could have ever brought about. And that, too, is a really good character formation in the life of a leader. Absolutely. Well, if we're going to talk about guiding others on a spiritual journey, I want to ask a question that... Um, essentially is when does a leader know that it's time to leave? Mm -hmm. uh, because I, there are those moments mm -hmm. and certainly it's not every moment and sometimes it's really time to stay yeah. and wait. Mm -hmm. And Moses didn't have the luxury of right. leaving. This mm -hmm. was, I mean, there wasn't another right. job to right. go to, mm -hmm. but now we do and yeah. we sometimes leave jobs. Could you talk a little bit about how a leader would discern mm -hmm. when it's time to stay versus time to yeah. go when life is really hard in yeah. their context? Well, I like you mentioned in, in an earlier episode about the fact that the church planting coach that you interact with says, if you have a plan B, then yeah. you should just get out now. Right. You know? right. Um, so one of the things that's really impressive about the life of Moses is that he didn't leave. And in fact, at the golden calf incident in particular, Moses identifies himself so profoundly with the people that he says to God, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too, because I'm committed to them. You know, like my, my name is written in their book, in your book, we're all together in this. So I do love that about Moses because his commitment to the people was so deep and so profound. So 
I do think that's that's even a part of it right there. Who and what am I committed to? Am I committed to the job or am I committed to, to these people? Um, that's really, really important. I think when we recognize that there's no way for us to remain healthy, that even though we've tried, even though we've tried to have healthy rhythms or even though we've tried to work on conflicts, even though we've tried to change some of the toxic elements in the relationships that we're a part of, that if, if our soul really is dying and there is no way to write it, even after we've tried our best, I think there are times when God calls us um, away and says, I don't ask you to do this anymore to the detriment of your own soul and your own health. Um, so there can be that kind of a moment as well. Um, sometimes there's just an inner sense of being released. Yeah. You know, where you, up until this point, you've been faithful, you have felt God calling you to be faithful, and you intend to be faithful, and then there comes a moment where somehow internally God says, you are released, you've been faithful, mm. and um, now I'm I'm giving you the freedom to let go. Mm. Yeah, I've heard people talk about that, and I think mm-hmm. I've experienced that mm-hmm. myself. So let me turn the question and say then when it's deeply difficult to mm-hmm. lead the people that you're being called yeah. to lead and you don't have the release mm-hmm. and you kind of know in your spirit, I'm not supposed, I'm not being mm-hmm. called to leave. Mm-hmm. How do you stay and stay well? Yeah. Well, I think there's a personal freedom that each of us has and, and we must, we must hang on to our freedom, our personal freedom to do those things that are right for us. Mm-hmm. And so Sometimes if we do that, if we tell people, this is the way I believe God is calling me to lead, and I will, this is what I will be doing here. Yeah. This is how I will be leading. If that is all right with you, then then we can go forward. Yeah. But if this person that I am and how I'm feeling called to leave doesn't feel right to you and, and you really don't want that, then you all, you all might need to make a decision too. Right. And that can be a really good clarifying moment in a congregation. You know, because they might say, you know what, we'd rather have this guy than start all over again. So we're going to we're gonna be open to some change around here because it's so important. We believe that this is God's person for us, and we want that person to be able to stay yeah. here with us and be healthy and whole. So sometimes that kind of an I statement, that kind of self-differentiated statement, um, taking a here, a here I stand position can actually free them to make a better and clearer choice, you know? Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. And that made me think, um, depending on your family of origin mm-hmm. issues, I've noticed myself in certain difficult situations saying to someone, how could they not know how I, f- how I really feel? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how could they not see me struggling yes. as much? And then the response a couple of times has been, Steve, I don't think they do know. Mm-hmm. Like, have you named it that right. directly? Mm-hmm. Because we're 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 struggling and wrestling, right. and we assume that we've mm-hmm. said it so clearly. Yeah. But most mm-hmm. of us haven't said it yeah. so clearly. Yeah, and it also, since we're both introverts, I think something we could say about that is that oftentimes introverts, there's so much in their heads yeah. that they actually think they have said things they have not said. And I have to confess that at times when a whole group of people says, Ruth, we've never heard you say that before. I have to think, wow, it's so clear in my own mind. I thought I said that five times. And I have to really own it that probably I never said I that. never said it because I was it was so clear to me and it was so clear in my own head that I just thought everybody else knew it. And that is a part of introversion that we have yeah. to watch out for when we're when an introvert finds themselves in a leadership position. And I also think the patience of it, and you've you've said it and I have this too. Mm-hmm. 
we have this belief that other people should be up to the same speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah. intelligent like, why people. Why don't you get yeah. it? Why yeah. don't you yeah. get it? Do I have to spell the whole thing out for you? And I think there's a humility mm-hmm. in that that says, okay, time out. Have I said the kindest, clearest, truest thing mm-hmm. about how I'm experiencing using I statements? And then we can do something. And and, and sometimes you know, if you're dealing with anyone with any kind of compassion or relational intelligence, they're going to go, oh, and that's going to break open something that might Mm -hmm. allow you to stay and even move forward. Yes. If we, like the Eugene Peterson story that you told, where he said, I just have to quit because this isn't working for me. And his, you know, definitive statement actually created an opportunity for a conversation they would not have been able to have if he hadn't made such a clear I statement. Right. So I think this brings up, Ruth, just the multifaceted um, and dangerous thing it is to try to lead uh, others on a spiritual journey. So my last question for this episode, and this is going to feel like a coming back, Mm -hmm. but because it's such a hard thing to do, because it's so dangerous Mm -hmm. to to our souls, really, um, remind us one more time how to how to go to God when it's really, really Mm -hmm. hard so that we can strengthen our souls. Well, again, we're cultivating our own our own practice of solitude and silence. We're creating solitude as a place to rest in God. We're cultivating solitude as a place to be with God with what is. We're cultivating solitude as a place of literally concretely waiting on God for the deliverance that only God can bring about in our lives. And I think for those of us who want to lead others well on the spiritual journey, which will always involve times of waiting and times of discomfort and openness to God in the place of something that feels quite unfixable for ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, have I done enough waiting in my own life in order to be prepared to lead others to wait with any kind of inner authority? Um, Have I done enough serious spiritual journey myself to be able to lead others on the, on the spiritual journey, um, especially in the most challenging of places. Uh, so I, I think that's a place of reflection for many of us as leaders. Uh, what, How serious have I been about my own spiritual journey and how is that preparing me or not for how God is wanting me to lead others? Thank you. Uh, well, as always, please lead us in a prayer to end this episode. Well, this is a prayer that's going to help us Um, settle into our waiting and feel good about it. It's from a a woman named Janet Morley in a book called Bread of Tomorrow. And in this prayer, she actually thanks God for the darkness of waiting. For the darkness of waiting, of not knowing what is to come, of staying ready and quiet and attentive, we praise you, O God, for the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For the darkness of staying silent, for the terror of having nothing to say, and for the greater terror of needing to say nothing, we praise you, O God, for the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For the darkness of choosing when you give us the moment to speak, to act, to change, and we cannot know what we have set in motion, but we still have to take the risk. We praise you, O God, for the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For the darkness of hoping in a world which longs for you, for the wrestling and the laboring of all creation, for wholeness and justice and freedom, we praise you, O God, for the darkness and the light are both alike to you. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening and being a part of our conversation today. As part of the launch of the expanded edition of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, we're offering some special bonuses when you purchase the book. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit us at transformingcenter.org for details. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love to know. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast and subscribe so that you will automatically receive upcoming episodes. 